This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, first of all, I just got back. Made a bar mitzvah for my grandson in Eretz Yisrael. So most people doesn't take as long as it takes me to make a bar mitzvah because um, it took me 38 years because I only have daughters. So I had to wait for my grandson. What was worth waiting for? Baruch Hashem. Eretz Yisrael, we'll tell you some stories in Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is... I have no idea what we're doing here. Uh, we all need to get up and get out of here. But it's it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Every morning, three o'clock at the coastal, it's quiet. You can dive in. You can talk to Hashem. It's like it's like medicine. What should I tell you? So I have a minute that every morning when I dive in, I wear Rabbeinu Thomas tefillin. So when I put on my second pair of tefillin, I open up to pick elbows and learn a Mishnah. And sort of that Mishnah tells me something about what my day is going to be like. Sometimes they're scary Mishnahs, sometimes they're very positive Mishnahs. I want to tell you the Mishnah that opened up Erev Shabbos, this past Erev Shabbos, in Eretz Yisrael. By the way, they, they're reading the Torah differently than us. We're, we're reading Balak this week, and they're reading Pinchas. They're ahead a week. Because when we had Shavuos, right, the so Shavuos, our Shavuos ended... Shabbos was included, but their Shabbos Shavuos was over already because they only have one day. So they read the Torah that Shabbos. We didn't. We didn't read the Parsha. So mm-hmm. it shows ahead of us till Matos and Masai till the last next two weeks from now. Then everybody then everyone's all together. So I shall open up the to Mish, the Mishnayos to Perek Dalit. Okay, Mishnah Yud. Who Aimer? Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yossi, said. Don't make any judgments as a single person. You shouldn't make any judgments. The only one that can make judgments is the is Hashem, is the Echad. You're not an Echad. You can have an opinion, right? But don't make judgments. The only one that can make judge, the only Yachid, only singular that can make a judgment, El Echad is Akash Baruchu. But I'll tell and do not say, Kablu Dativ, listen to what I have to say. When there's a majority opinion against yours, right? You're in a group, you're having a vote, majority's voting yes, you and you want to vote no, right? So the mission is telling us, you go with the majority. You don't have permission as one singular person to push the rule through. If there's a majority that says differently, then you have to listen to the majority. What a weird mission to learn on a Friday morning. I'm like, there's no way that this mission can have anything that I, anything to do with my Friday, Erev Shabbos. Now, it's very exciting, Erev Shabbos and Eretz Yisrael, because they don't have delivery. They, 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 everyone does their own shopping. So in Geula, the place is packed. Everyone's shopping, chalas, and, and then you go to Machina Yehuda, which is from the old days, and, and you go through this marketplace, and they're all screaming, vegetables for a kilo, fish, and the fish is out there in front of you, the chicken's out there in front, everything's out there in front of you. Some stuff you can trust, some stuff's Rabbanut, some stuff is Badat. The place is rocking, and that we, Baruch Hashem, protected, that nothing happens in the Shuk is an absolute miracle. So I'm having a great time. I went there early, I went to the Shuk, then I go to Geula, to go shopping for Shabbos. 
Every single person that sees me, since they see I'm an American, everyone's collecting tzedakah. Guys that look rich, guys that look poor, I'm just walking in the street, oh, tzedakah, I'm like, hello, what do I have? Cash on my forehead, like what, Americano? Americano sucker, like what, what's going on? Everywhere I went. So they have people in Google sitting on the floor collecting. Or like wherever I want, someone's like, tzedakah. So I'm going with my two grandchildren, my granddaughter and my grandson. 100%. I'm not, I'm not saying that it isn't the poor city. But whatever, whatever. So, so I'm walking in the, I'm walking, I'm going shopping. And this young guy, maybe 16, 17, looks like a breast of a chassid in jeans and just an undershirt. Okay? Chassid in jeans and an undershirt and sneakers. Totally looks off the derech, like, chassid kids don't get dressed like that. Walks over to me and says, No, Tzedakah, Shabbos. I'm like, No way. I am not giving him money for drugs and cigarettes and drink. I, no way. I'm not giving this guy. He's 16 years old. Go work. You know, like, what, what, what are you bothering me? He doesn't let go of me. He's holding on to my jacket. No, Tzedakah. What, you want your kids to be like me? Tzedakah. I'm like, Well, you could, like, what? Get out of here. Leave me alone. I'm like, he, he crosses the street with me. He doesn't let go. So I'm getting a little bit angry. And I, I turn to him and say, listen, Shefalo, I am not giving you money for drugs. I'm not giving you money for cigarettes. That's not what I'm doing. I said, there are other people here collecting for food. I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm not. So he says to me, well, then why don't you just buy me some food? So when he says that to me, I'm like, aha, this kid is really smart. Buy him food, he'll sell the food, take the cash, buy the cigarettes. Not a silly guy, right? So I said, I work with kids like you. I told him in the writ. I work with kids like you. I'm not giving you money for the stuff that you're not supposed to be using. He says, really? You don't believe me? Call my mother. I'm like, okay. Now we're going to find out what's going on over here. Okay, what's your mother's number? Doesn't have a phone on him. Gives me his mother's number. I'm like, yeah, his mother. We'll see if it's his mother. I call, rings, 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 rings. No answer, no messages. I said, sorry, can't help you. No one answered. Okay, call my father. What's your father's number? Um, um, uh, nine. No, no, Se- seven. I'm like, yeah, okay. The guy, the guy doesn't know his father's number. I'm like. Yeah, you're going to try to weasel money out of me. I mean, hello. All right, well, he wasn't born yesterday. How could you not know your father's so I said, how do you not know your father's number? It's usually on my phone, but I don't have my phone. I'm like, just leave me alone, man. Like, you know, leave me alone. There's some poor people, and I'm not a stingy guy. I give out a lot of money on my trip to poor people that I know that they need the money. This guy's a young guy. So he finally gets it. He goes, okay, it's da 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 I call. We'll make up his name. I'll make up a name. His name is Avi, right? Cool. Man answers the phone. Shalom. I'm like, Zeh, Abba Shal Avi. I mentioned Avi. Ken. So this kid says to me, Medabe being lit. Medabe being lit. I'm like, is your son Avi? He goes, yes. I'm like, what's the deal? Is he collecting for food? Or is he collecting for drugs? Schatz for He says, I have, I have, I'm in Kolel. I have nine boy, nine children, 
we have no food on the table at all. And Avi goes out every Friday. Now again, he doesn't look like a from kid. He looks like a kid that's a rebel, right? Avi goes out every Friday, and he raises the money. The father's telling me, and he raises the money for the family for the food for the whole family. I'm like, you're sure about this? He says, my Avi is very, very special. Whatever, it sounds a little, little bit of dysfunctional family, whatever it is. He says, but I'm telling you that he brings home the food for Shabbos for his whole family every Friday. He said, Avi, hung up the phone, he says, no, what did he say? I said, how come your father speaks English? He says, my father is an American, he's about tshuva. My mother's about tshuva. And I don't know how, how they say a Kailo guy, there's an Ivrit word for it. He's, um, whatever, he's in Kolel, and he doesn't work. And, huh? An Avreich, he's an Avreich. So I didn't say anything to him about, like, why did you go to work? I never said that. I don't, I don't say that to people. And then he says to me, and by the way, you should just know that I go to this and this yeshiva. He told me the name of the yeshiva. He says, and I clean the toilets and the floors and the kitchen. And I get paid 500 shekel a week. I get a fa- I get 2,000 shekel a month, and I give it to my mother to help pay the, for the bills. And I'm like, says the Mishnah, right? What did I read that morning? Don't be a singular judge, right? Why? Because she ain't done The only one that has a right to judge anyone. Is God. So the kid might look like he's 16. By the way, he was 19 and a half. Not 16, but he looked like he was 16. So the kid might look like he's 16. Off the derech, right? Collecting money, your shorts for cigarettes and stuff it shouldn't be. And meanwhile, he's collecting stuff and he's the one who supports the family. And he goes out every Friday and he does that. So the mission was talking to me, but I didn't read it. I didn't put it together. So I gave him a lot of money. I felt very bad. And I gave him a lot of money and I asked him a chilo. I said, you should be mocking. I said, I told him, you're a very young guy. You don't look like you need money. So you have to understand, the old, the people in Gula that I collected, they're old. They're old women. They're, sit, they're, 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 they're sitting on the floor, whatever it is. I'm like, you're running around like, you know, cool guy. I'm thinking, I said, but I, I, I'm wrong. I, sh- I should have. But th- there's two parts to this story. Number one, had, he, had this whole thing not happened, I would have given him 10 shekel, 20 shekel, $5, $10, right? I gave him a lot more than that because of because I felt bad. But number two, which I think is more important, on my way home, walking back to the apartment, I thanked HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I thanked God that he made this kid hang on to my shirt. Because had he asked me for money and I didn't give him, and this was the kid that's bringing food home to his parents, to support them for Shabbos, I would have come to Shemayim after 120 years, and they would have said, you embarrassed a child that was collecting money for tzedakah. Oh my God, the punishment, you don't even want to know. The punishment is to embarrass someone. You told them, you called them a drug addict. You told them you want to give them money for cigarettes. This is the kid who brings home the food for the family. I would have been in so much trouble. So Baruch Hashem, he held on to my shirt until we finally figured out what the situation was, and I ended up giving him money and getting mechila. So that's, you have to thank Hashem that he, that, that he gave you a chance to do tshuva and not to make such a mistake. So yeah, you cannot judge a book by its cover. 
You cannot judge a book at all. You better read the whole book. When you finish the whole book, that's when you can judge the book. But that's, that's what the mission was saying. I learned a very important lesson. And I have to tell you that I felt very bad. Because really, I should have taken his phone number. And every Shabbos, we could have sent the money. We could have gathered money here every Wednesday night. We could have sent the money. But I have no idea what his phone number is. And it be very hard for me to find it on my phone. It's a show. We're going to look for him. Well, I show 100%. I don't know how many people in this room would have given him a penny. Okay? Because he looked like... He, he looked... I'll put him. Oh, he didn't want a dollar. You're right. That's a dollar. He didn't want a dollar. He wasn't asking for a dollar. He would. He he did not want to. He would not have taken it. Right, right. But how much do you have to give? You don't give every person that comes to you what you can. There's a guy, person in shul. You give a dollar. There's that ani that comes to you that you know is very poor. You give 180 dollars. You don't give everybody the same. Yeah, you have to. You have to be. You have to know who to give and who not to give. Okay. Anyway, I'm telling you the story because I'm telling you that I was wrong and that you have to be very careful how you judge people. I'm not embarrassed to tell you the truth. It's what happened. So that was my Friday Friday afternoon. I was taught a good lesson. I didn't understand how that Mishnah that I learned at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning would have to do don't judge anyone. The only one that's allowed to judge someone is our Kaddish Baruch All right. This week's Pasha. So, very interesting Pasha, Balak. So first of all, I heard something amazing. So we all know, this is a Pasha, really, that's based on Hakar Satov. On, appreci- on a, showing appreciation, showing Hakar Satov. The, the Pasha begins, Vayar Balak ben Tzipas Kolashe Asa Yisrael Emori. Balak saw everything that Klai Yisrael did to Emori and he was very scared so what did he do he called the Zikne Midian the, in Midian there was a very bad person his name was Bilam Bilam ben Ba'ar Bilam ben Ba'ar was a, was a um, Gilgal of who anyone here know of who the Tagim Yonison says he was, a, he was a Gilgal of Lavan he was a Gilgal of Lavan and the power that he had, the magic and the black magic that he had, all came from Lavan. Now, Bilam was a very big Balgaiva. He was a very big, big shot. He had the power to curse. At the moment in the morning when Hashem is angry, he knew that moment. He had the power of cursing. He also had an eye in Hara. He had one eye. Bilam had one eye, and he had the power with that eye to cause terrible, terrible ayin horrors on people and on things. And he also knew the magic of the snakes. He was a snake charmer, and his whole magic came from the dark side, which is the satan is called the nachash. And he knew that he had that, he had that kayach. Moab, Moab, right, Balak, hired Bilam to curse Klai at that moment, and that that would make us weak or destroy us so that he wouldn't have to go to war with us. Everyone here knows that instead of cursing, he ended up blessing. We say it every morning, Matovo Lechi Yaakov, Mishkan Yisrael, comes from Bilam. He's the one, that's the only bracha of all his brachas that came true. 
And the whole Matov Yaakov was because he looked at the tents and he saw that the Jewish tents were not, the doors were not facing each other. So one person could not see what was going on in the other person's house. So that we wouldn't give Ayin Haras. So we were a little bit off. So each one didn't see the opening of the other. When he saw that, Bilam, and he saw that there's no jealousy, which is his basis of what he was, was Kina and Sina was, so he saw that Klai Yisrael didn't have that. So he said, wow, Matobu Lechi Yaakov. This is something that you guys have that, you know, that we don't have. An unbelievable vart. It's brought down. That if Moab, if Balak would have hired Bilam to bless Moab, instead of the negative, instead of cursing the Jews, he would have used his power to bless Moab, Moab would have been successful against us. But instead of blessing, instead of using the energy for the positive, he used the energy for the negative, it didn't work. Now, let me show you how far Hakar Satov goes. Balak hired Bilam to destroy Klaiso. And in the end, we'll talk about it maybe at the end of this year, 24,000 men died because they did immoral acts with the women of Midian and Moab. 24,000 people died. And Moab, right, this, this, Bilo, this Balak paid him houses of gold and silver that he should curse us. So he was, Balak was only interested in destroying Klaistra. Who comes from Balak? A direct descendant of Balak. Who's a direct descendant of Balak? Rus. Dovan HaMelech comes from Rus, who comes from Balak, who cursed, who hired Bilam to curse us and destroy us. So the Medrash Rabbah asks, how could a, how could Dovan HaMelech and the Malchus of Yisrael, the Malchus, Dovan HaMelech, Mashiach, come from Balak, who hired Bilam to destroy us. And the Medrash says something amazing. And the Medrash says that Hashem said that God owes Balak HaKaras HaTov. Karas HaTov, you hired Bilam to destroy us. That's true. But what happened? He ended up blessing us. And he ended up blessing us with Matovo Lecha Yaakov, Mishnah Sech Yisrael. Therefore, Hashem had to reward him. His kavana was to destroy us, but from it came a bracha. So because from it came a bracha, Hashem had to reward him that the Malchus of Yisrael should come from him. Why? Because the whole reward of the Malchus of Yisrael is based on the Hakaras HaTov, the appreciation that Hashem had for this miserable, wicked man who hired a guy to curse us, but ended up blessing us. Alachas Kama Bakama, surely, surely if you did something good for someone else, not curse them, something good came out of it, but you meant to do something good for them, how much Akarasa Tov a person has to have? And the basis of the Malchus of Yisrael and Mashiach is based on Akarasa Tov. So the, 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 the curse that he hired him to curse ended up being a bracha, and we got that bracha. From Balak comes Mashiach, who's David HaMelech. That's how far the DNA of appreciation is in Klai Yisrael.
Of course, this door that we're in right now doesn't appreciate anything. And one of the... So, so when I was in Eretz Yisrael, there's a lot of stuff going on. Right? I don't have to tell you they're shooting cops, well, who's running for president, they're blowing up people in France, they're blowing up people in Belgium, they're, blowing, they're stabbing people in Germany. The world is on total wheels. I mean, you'd have to be stupid not to see what's going on over here. So when I went to all the tzaddikim, Roller Rabbanim, and Eretz Yisrael, and I asked them, what should I come back with? What should I talk to everyone about? They all said that this is the times of Mashiach, and the, the most important thing in the, the most important thing in the time of the Mashiach, they didn't say this, that, and the other thing that you know people get up to say. They didn't say the most important thing is not to have an iPhone, and they didn't say the most important thing is not to dance in Zumba, and they didn't say that the most important thing is not to talk by davening. They said the most important thing is emuna, emuna, because it's going to look like in the world that we're wrong. It says in Isaiah that Yishmael is going to control the world for 12 months. And we're going to be under his rule. And a lot of Jews are going to feel that Hashem doesn't really exist. And the big test, and we've been talking about this a lot lately, the big test of our times is the belief in God. That Hashem Echad, Yishmael Echad. And you see... I talk to from kids, I talk to non-from kids. There's so many girls out there and so many guys out there. Mature people, 40-year-old people, and 20-year-old people, and 16-year-old people, and 7-year-old people that don't believe in Hashem. And the big challenges, you know, terrible story, terrible story. A group of girls on a Shabbos, whatever it is, in a house, and they left the light on in the bedroom. Left the light on. There's a whole bunch of girls. It was like one of the sleep-ins, like 20 girls, and lights on. And how are they going to find a guy? And they have to go down the block. And one girl said, you don't need a guy. And just flipped it off. I'm talking about a from group of girls. I'm talking about a Yaakov group of girls. She just flipped it off. And the other girl was like, what? what? What did you do? She said, you see, nothing happened to me. Nothing happened to me. Big deal. Flip a light off. Flip a light off. <laughs> Hello? What's just going on? A lot of people don't believe in Hashem anymore. That's the, that's the end of days. The end of days, the chosen, the one-fifth of Klai Yisrael, it's going to make it out according to the Chidah, are the ones that are going to have a Muna. And it's not easy to have a Muna. It's very easy to preach a Muna. And it's very easy to say, I have a Muna. I spoke today in Muncie to a, gr- a group of women that every woman in that room either has, has cancer has a child that has cancer or has a husband that has cancer or lost someone to cancer. It was a, a, a cancer group. And the first thing I got up to tell them was that I am the last one to tell you to get up first of all and say, I feel your pain because there's no such thing. Anyone who says that is a fool. You cannot feel someone else's pain. If I take a needle right now and I stick it in my finger, there's no one in this room that can feel the pain that I feel. How can you? I didn't stick it into your finger unless you're some kind of, I don't know, magician or connected to me in this crazy way that, you know, yoga, I don't know what, and you're like, ow, you know, um, there is a guy that does magic that he, t- he has people on both sides of the room, I went to Arnava, and, he, and, and, and he'll take a stick and touch the back of one, and the other one's like, why are you touching my back on the other side of the room, I don't know how he does it, okay, but normal people, if I stick a needle into my finger, none of you can feel it, so to go to someone and say, ah, I feel your pain, Liar. 
You don't can't feel someone else's pain. You can feel that the other person's in pain. If I stick a needle in my finger, you're all going to go, oh, right? Because wow, right? Watson, that must hurt you. Yes, you can feel someone that someone else is in pain. You cannot feel their pain. You can't in any which way. Every person deals with pain differently. You stick a, f- a needle into everyone's finger here. Some people are very sensitive to it. Some people have callous fingers, won't even hurt them, right? Some people have, can handle a high level of pain. So there's no such thing. So I said, first of all, I'm not coming in and telling you, oh, I feel your pain. I don't feel your pain. That's number one. I said, number two, I'm going to talk about Amuna, right? But I have to tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth. I talk about Amuna. I live in a world of Amuna. I learned all this form on Amuna. And my first daughter, when she was giving birth, Malki, so we had come in at night, much Shabbos, she was in labor, and we got to Mount Sinai, and they said they have to do a cesarean, so she was in an operating room by the time I got there to do the cesarean, and my son-in-law, Dubi, was outside, and he was davening Talim and shaking, and I could only see through a window down the hall. So I don't see my daughter... And I just see my son-in-law shaking like crazy. I'm like, well, why isn't he inside, number one? It's a Syrian. Why isn't he inside? Why is he shaking like that? Oh, my gosh. Is there something wrong with her? This is my wife. What's going on over there? Like, right? So we were very nervous. Our first kid. All of a sudden, on the loudspeaker, it says, stat, we need the crash cart. Now, the crash cart is someone starts breathing, stops breathing, so they have the paddles. If you need the crash cart, you're in big trouble. And they're flying down the hall with this crash cart. I'm like... Oh my gosh, she's dead, she's dead, she's dead. My, my daughter died. She died. She died in childbirth. I mean, it's over. It's just over. And my mother was standing there, my father and my wife's like, what are you saying? I'm like, it's over, I'm telling you, it's over. And I just f- collapsed. And here's Reverend Wallstein, the big speaker, on Amuna. But now it's my daughter, right? And my, my wife, who turns to me for strength, is like picking me half off the floor. It's like, you know, calm down. And I was just in a total panic. I just lost it. I, like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this happened to my daughter. I can't believe it, right? Meanwhile, I, I, the, I'm already out of it. And the nurse comes out and says, my wife says, what's going on? And she says, no, no, it's not, it's not your daughter's room. It's the room after. Okay, not that it made me that happy. It made me very happy. But, um, you know, it's not my daughter. So here, people, we talk about it a lot. But to really live it, when, the, when, when something happens, like, you know, when, to really live it, it's very hard. So you, you have to work on it every single day till it becomes part of you. Because if you think it's going to be a thinking process and you're going to sit there and you're going to start thinking, well, I really believe in Hashem, I'm not worried, I'm not worried, it, it doesn't happen that way. It has to become a reflex. So it's okay. I got Hashem, no problem. It doesn't matter. It's going to be good. It can't be a thought process. It has to be part of you. And the only way it becomes part of you is every single day you read a Sefer on Emuna and you talk to yourself and you talk to Hashem about Emuna. So then when it happens, you have that Emuna. Otherwise, you can't do it. And in the times of Mashiach, all the Gedalim went to Chaim, went to everybody. All the Gedalim said, talk to them about Emuna, to work on their Emuna. There's going to be a lot of tests. There are a lot of tests. Even now, there are a lot of tests. A lot of tests, and especially in Amuna, and a lot of people don't really believe. A lot of people call out to Hashem. A young kid said to me, "I, I, 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 I got a phone call today from wherever it is, and the guy says I have a nine-year-old daughter, and she, she's she's davening, and someone's sick in the family, whatever it is, and she 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 came to me today. She says I don't think Hashem, I don't think Hashem is alive. 
So the father said, what do you mean you don't think Hashem is alive? She goes, I don't think he's alive. I, I'm davening and davening and nothing's happening, nothing's changing. I think Hashem died. It's a little kid. <laughs> Hello? So he said, Ray Watson, what should I answer? So I, didn't, I said, I have to think it overnight, how to answer a nine-year-old child who thinks Hashem died because he's not listening to his tefillah, right? You can't tell them, he said no. That's not the answer, that, that little child. You can't tell a nine-year-old, well, you're diving for this woman who's sick or your mother or whoever it is, and Hashem said no. Well, that's not going to make me like Hashem. That's a terrible answer. I don't like that answer. Maybe Hashem said maybe. Hashem doesn't say maybe. And Hashem doesn't say no. It's, that's not what it's all about. So I got in front of these women. I'm like, I am not preaching. I'm, 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 I'm just like everybody else. And when it comes into the panic mode, you know what? I fell apart. I fell apart when it was my daughter. So, you know, it's like... Um, the story with this Rebbe, this kid that was like, he was very challenged in school and he wasn't doing well. And he came to his Rebbe and he's like, I'm very iffy with this whole learning, what I'm doing. I'm, I'm very iffy with the whole Judaism. So Rebbe said, okay, let's come to, come to my house. Let's come to your house. Don't you want to like learn Musa with me? He says, no, come to my house. You're very iffy, come to my house. So he comes to his house and he puts up three pots of water. In the first pot he puts a potato. In the second pot he puts a soup, well, uh, a raw egg. In the third pot he, third pot, he puts coffee grinds and the kid's like Rebbe are you okay? he says yeah we're going to learn something very important here today in the kitchen so they wait a half an hour and the pots are all boiling and he goes over to the first pot and he brings the boy he says I want to show you something he says remember the potato we put in the first pot it was, it was raw potato it was rock hard stick the fork in the potato it sticks the fork in the potato it becomes mush right so it's half an hour it became mush he says, okay, Rabbi, so you cook a potato, it becomes soft. Thank you very much. Is that my lesson? Like, oh, now I believe in Hashem, potatoes become soft. Like, what are you doing? Relax. So let's check out the egg, right? The egg was raw. Take out the egg, peel the egg, it's a hard boiled egg. He says, right? He says, very good, Rabbi. Woo, raw egg, you cook it for half an hour. He says, I know that. He says, now let's look at the third pot. He opens the third pot, there's coffee beans in there. Wow, black coffee. You know what kind of smell that is? Wow, what a smell. Rabbi says, okay, sit down. He says, did you learn the lesson? He says, Rebbe, what are you talking about? He says, let me teach you about people. He says, in the first pot is this tough person. Tells everybody, don't worry. Hashem's going to be there for you. Hashem's going to help you. You have nothing to worry about. You have to be strong. You're like, wow, this girl is so strong. She's like preaching to everyone. Wow, she has such a muna. Take her and put her into the hot water. Put her in a situation, she becomes mush. Then you have this other person who's like the nicest person. Wants to help everyone, always has time to help everyone. Everything's great. She's a raw egg. She's a soft-boiled egg. She's raw, right? She's so soft. Put her into hot water and all of a sudden it's like, listen, I got my own stuff. I got my own problems. I really don't have time for you right now. I also have a life. So the hard person became soft because of the pressure. The soft person became hard. I don't got time for anyone else now. I got to take care of myself. He says, those, those are the wrong reactions to hot water, to trouble. He says, look at the third pot. Look, the third pot smells unbelievable. So the Rebbe said to the Talmud, what's the difference between the three pots? He says, the third pot, the object changed the hot water. The coffee changed the water into coffee. The coffee beans changed the water. The other two pots... The water, the hot water, changed the object. A hard potato to a mush. A, a, a soft-boiled egg to a hard-boiled egg. He said, don't let the hot water in your life change you. You change the hot water. 
You need to be like the coffee beans. Don't let it make you hard and don't let it make you soft. You change the situation. Don't let the situation change you. So many of us become bitter and become hard and so many of us fall apart because of the, the strains and the struggles that we go through. And the Rebbe said, no, don't let the struggle change you. You change the struggle. You get up and do things to make your struggle change. It's a very important lesson in life. That's what we need to do. So Amuna is a is a is a, a work in progress. And if you read about it and you learn about it and you talk to Hashem, and I'll tell you the end was my birthday a few days ago. So on your birthday you're supposed to give a bracha. So I was busy giving out brachas to people. But my my first bracha I gave to God at three thirty in the morning at the coastal. I'll tell you what my bracha is. My bracha was somebody came over to me and said something very fascinating. Um, I told him it was my birthday. It was a big tzaddik. I said, it's my birthday. Actually, it was one of the big tzaddik. I said, I want to give you a bracha. It's my birthday. So he said, did you say uh, the second chapter in Tehillim? I'm like, I pretty much said every other chapter, but I didn't say the second chapter. He said, you have to say the second chapter in Tehillim on your birthday. And if you say the second chapter of Tehillim on your birthday, whatever you ask Hashem, He will give you. I was like, okay, Why? He says, because that's what it says in the second chapter. So, I went and got it to Hillel. Listen to this. Perak Beis. You ready for this? Hashem Omar Eli Beniata. Hashem said to me, you are my son. Ani hayom ledaticha. I today gave birth to you. It's your birthday. Sha'al mimeni etna. Ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. Wow. I was like, wow. So I asked Hashem for a birthday present. And I said, my birthday present would be if you would reveal yourself to the world. I said, the biggest present you can do for me is to stop all this footsteps and atheism and all these kids going off to Derech and the guy making all these terrible laws against your Torah just show yourself finally to the world. Let them all know that there's a God in the world. I hope he delivers the present. And it's Hashem this year. That was my birth. That would be the biggest birthday present that Hashem could give all of us. But it's, ama- it's, 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 it's amazing. And, the, and, the, and it continues, Shami Manu asked for me, Ve'etna goyim I will give the nations as your inheritance. That's the biggest present Hashem can do. That, that Klai Yisrael once again gets there to Israel and we have Mashiach. Anyway, that's going off the subject a little bit. So, yeah, so everybody, that's what everybody said. We have to, yeah, it's coming down, it's coming down. So, so, so I repeated this to someone and you know what they said to me? I said, you know, it's the time to Mashiach and he's coming and we have to work on our Imuna. So this person is a Holocaust survivor and said to me, Zechariah Wallerstein, we said the same thing 70 years ago, 80 years ago. Mashiach didn't come. We were in the Holocaust. Millions of Jews were dying. He said, for sure, what's going on? It's the last war. It's Mashiach. You know, it's really nice to say this, but we went through the same thing. Everybody was saying it's Mashiach, and he didn't come. I said, there's a big difference, and I want to tell you the difference. First of all, many of the tzaddikim say that 
if you look in the Gemara, it says what's going to happen when Shia comes, there's going to be a war of Gog and Magog, there's going to be a bunch of other stuff. And it doesn't say it's all going to happen in one day or in one year or even in one generation. That's what's going to happen. So a lot of tzaddikim today say that the war of Gog and Magog, that huge war where millions of people died, because in World War II, I don't know the number, but it was a crazy number just on D-Day that died. Millions and millions and millions and millions of soldiers died in World War II. A lot of human beings died in World War II, outside of Jews. A lot, a lot of human beings. So a lot of Tzadikim have said that war that the Navi was talking about, that's going to happen, that was World War II. And it does bring down that there will be a, a thing where the, where the eye sockets will, the skin will melt off the body and the eye sockets will fall in, and that's nuclear, that's radiation, and in World War II we dropped two bombs, Hiroshima, right, we dropped two bombs and this taka happened. So a lot of Tzadikim are like, the war, that, that part of Mashiach, is, is done. That was a piece of it. But there's a piece in the Gemara that never ever happened till now. And the Gemara says that it will be a door of chutzpah. The heishiv leiv avos el habanim. And when the comes, he will bring back the hearts of the parents to their children. The leiv banim and bring their children back to their parents. I understand and it's always been that you got to bring the kids back to the parents because when you're a teenager, you're a rebel. You know, you think you know more than your parents. But never has it been that the parents are so disgusted with their kids that they don't like them. I cannot even tell you how tragic it is that there were times that parents told me, I am davening that Hashem should take my child out of the world. She's Mechal Shabbos. She's with boys. She's doing every Avera. I don't want my daughter to go to Gehenna. I wish and daven that she should be taken out of this world so she should stop doing Averas. I'm like, that is so sick. But it's so real. But it's so real. And the Gemara says there'll be a time that you have to bring the parents back to their kids. Not just the kids back to the parents. You're going to have to bring the parents back to the kids. Never in the history of Judaism, Tisha B'Av, the instruction of the Beis HaMikdash, the Holocaust. Yes, we always were going off the derech. That's nothing new. That's nothing new. Before the Holocaust, there was the Enlightenment, where everybody was falling off and going to the Reform Judaism movement. In the times of the Beis HaMikdash, there was Avoid Zorah. We were always challenged. In the Navi, right, there was Nevi'eh Baal. There was Menashe. There was, we always did bad stuff. There's always a part of Klyosol that sinned. But there was never chutzpah. Anyone who was in the Holocaust will tell you that a child in those days never answered their parents back. That you became irreligious and you didn't keep Shabbos and you ate Chazer. Yeah, but you never were fresh. There was no such thing as being fresh to a parent. The chutzpah that the Gemara talks about is this generation. The chutzpah that kids have for their parents that if you don't give me what I want, I'm not going to school. Do you know how many kids today tell their parents, you don't give me an iPhone, I'm not going to school. I'm not. You're a seventh grader. I am not going to school. I am done. I just had a story this week. A woman who's very, very, very sick. Very, very sick. Single mother going through Gehenna. Her kid comes to her and says, 
I want a smartphone. I want WhatsApp. It's a very yeshiva family. The mother says, I got you a phone, a regular flip phone like, like mine. I totally filtered it. Right? Who filters it? What's the name of that company that does all the filters? What? I don't hear you. No, the one that does everybody's filters. Tag. Tag, right. Phone is totally tagged, right? And the kid says, no, I want WhatsApp. Now, I don't know, his mother should have a Rufus Shalema, but she needs a miracle. Okay, stage four. It's a miracle. So she wants to know, Red Wallstein, should I give him the iPhone? Or should I not give him the iPhone? So you know what I said. What is he, a terrorist? No. Do not give him the iPhone. Said, but tell me a little bit about your kid. Oh, well, he hasn't been in Yeshiva in six months. I don't know if he keeps Shabbos. I'm like, well, then the iPhone is not the situation. It's not the, the thing that we need to fight about over here. We have bigger problems. I said, well, what do you think would happen if you told him that you're not giving him the phone? She said, I told him I'm not giving him the phone. You know what he told me? I said, what did he say? He said... I'm going to get my own phone. If you don't buy me one, I'm going to get my own phone. So she said, and you know what I told him? If I catch you with that phone, I'll take it away. So you know what he told me? This is a very a sick woman, right? His mother is sick, and he's 15, so he's not a little kid. He said, Ma, you touch my phone, you take, you take something away from me, well then I take something away from you. You're not going to find your car keys. And then if you take it away again, you're not going to find your wallet. Every time you take something from me, I'm going to take something from you. Oh my. That kid deserves, like, what? I mean, your mother is dealing with the sickness. She doesn't know how long she has to live. And you're, tell, you're threatening her that if you take away my iPhone, I'm going to take away your keys. That's what the Gemara says exactly the door of Mashiach is going to look like. Not off the derech, a door of chutzpah. Where Rabbi Gamliel said, things have changed. It's kaved es bincha ves bitecha. They changed the aseres adibros from honor your mother and father to honor your daughter and son. So I told the person from the Holocaust, I'm like, the Holocaust was missing those two ingredients. Now, we have all the ingredients that the Gemara said. Never, ever was there such chutzpah in the world. There's no regard for rabbis. There's no regard for parents. There's no regard for teachers. We do whatever we feel like, whenever we feel like, however we feel like. It's coming from the world. Just just do it. That was Nike. They started off very quietly. Just do it. And it became, just do it. You don't have to care about nothing, you have to get up in the bus for someone who's old sitting there, you get, all I hear all day long is, I gotta take care of myself, it's a new thing I gotta take care of myself and if you're infringing on myself, then I don't have anything to do with you it's all about me and I said to this, I said I, I understand that the Holocaust, you know, that you went through and Mashiach did not come, but I am telling you that now the final ingredients that did not exist in the world, there was no such thing, you don't, you don't even understand the young girls here, you don't understand the respect we had for our parents. You just, they didn't have to say anything, they just looked at us and we jumped. 
There was such respect. I'm not even talking about fear. There was such respect. You never answered back a teacher, even if the teacher was totally wrong. My father used to tell me, if it's a teacher, even if she's wrong, she's right. Because at the end of the day, she's marking your report card. So you just got to suck it up and keep quiet. That's it. A teacher was wrong, they were right. You can say, oh, we, we're much better today. If the teacher's wrong, then you have to say that they're wrong. And, and if the cops are wrong, then you have to shoot them. That's it. Kill seven guys who have families. Shoot them. Because some other cop made a mistake. We have a right, right, to shoot them. Black lives matter. What about white lives and blue lives? Doesn't all of, of the human, all the humans in the world's lives matter? When you, when you take a section of the human beings and say they matter, are you saying that the rest don't matter? Of course black lives matter. And every life matters. There's no color when it comes to life. A human being's life matters. So the whole world is falling apart, and the, at the end of the day, he's coming. I'm telling you, he's coming. And the only way that you're going to make it when he comes is that emuna is so part of you that it's a reflex, not a thought process. It's a reflex. It's just amr with Hashem, and nothing's getting in between that. If it's a thinking process, you're going to panic. If it's something that you do over and over and over, it becomes part of you, you don't even have to think about it, you're not going to panic. It's sort of like taking karate. I don't know if anyone ever took karate. If you take karate, after a while, your reactions are automatic. You're not thinking about blocking the knife or blocking the punch. You're not thinking about it. Your body automatically blocks it. There's no, there's no thought process. My father was trained in the army. When he first went there, so in those days they had bayonets. Bayonets was a knife at the end of the rifle. My father was a Jewish 21-year-old, skinny 130-pound Jew from New York. He ended up in the 112th Airborne Division, the toughest guys, the toughest guys. My father used to say, for breakfast they ate bullets. Tough, tough guys, tough, tough guys. You take this Jewish kid from Yeshiva University, and you take him to basic training, and they're like, we're now going to teach you how to use a bayonet. A bayonet? You have to stick it into the person and pull their guts out. My father, not for a Jewish kid from New York, right? He said they trained us over and over. Of course, they didn't use humans. They used straw, like, you know, straw people, right? But they trained us over and over. They, we lost our thinking process. Is the enemy, you stick in the bayonet, I won't even go into what you have to do, right? You pull his guts out, whatever it is, like, <laughs> He said, there was no thinking process. It was a reflex. The army trains you to such a point that it's, there's no thinking process. You're not thinking, well, should I shoot? If you're going to think, should I shoot? You're dead. You're dead. Should I shoot? Well, the other guy was trained. He's not thinking, should you shoot? He shoots you first. So it becomes a reflex. There's, they take away your thinking process. Because the thinking process takes a moment. And that moment of indecision... It's too late. So the Gedolim said, you have to learn, and maybe we should start talking the next year, learning Sifrei Emuna to the point that it's a reflex. Believing in Hashem and being part of Hashem and being close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a reflex. It's not even a thought process. And that's what you're going to need in the times of Mashiach. Because if you're going to start thinking, you're going to end up in footsteps. 
By the way, footsteps is very interesting that they named it footsteps to take everyone off the derech. What they don't realize is that the, the Rav Chaim Vital says that in the times of Mashiach, there'll be a footsteps, there'll be an Erev Rav, like there was in the times of, of when we left Mitzrayim. And they took all the Jews that were weak, right? What's the Pusik say? Right? They took all the... Like, Mamash like today. Mamash like today. What did the Erev Rav do? So one of the Shisha Zechreinahs that we say every morning, right, about Amalek, so it's interesting. A Malik attacked, but they ask a question. Who did they attack? The Jews were in the clouds. Surrounded by clouds. If the Jews are surrounded by clouds, a Malik can't get in there. The Mitzvah couldn't get in there. She says, no. So you have to look at what it says in the Pasuk. Who did they attack? They didn't attack the people in the clouds, right? When you left Mitzrayim, they met you in the way, but Karcha comes to the word Kar. They cooled you off. Your, your Hasidus, your warmth of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, your closeness, the warmth of Yiddishkeit, they came and they cooled it off. And they gathered all the weak ones that were Acharecha, that were outside the cloud. They already had stepped out. They were weak. They were tired. And they didn't have Yiras Hashem. Those are the ones that Amalek went after. So footsteps doesn't even realize why they named themselves footsteps. They named themselves footsteps because according to Rav Chaim Vital, when the Erev Rav comes back, such an organization that acts exactly like they did, those are the footsteps of Mashiach. Not the footsteps that they think they are. Those are the footsteps of Mashiach. In the times of Mashiach, those will be the footsteps. When you see the Erev Rav come back and take the Oyev Yogeya Elohim, when it will take those Jewish people, and they're not just kids that they're taking, and they're going to take them out of Yiddishkeit, right? That's the time of Mashiach. So footsteps in my head, everything that you give a name to, we know in Shemayim, there's a reason you give a name. Yeah, footsteps, yeah, you're going to hear the footsteps of Mashiach. All those people are going to hear the footsteps of Mashiach, but unless they do tshuva, it's going to be very, very, very late. So it's a very, very serious time in the world. And I don't have to tell you that. You see what's going on in the world, whether it's America, whether it's Europe, whether it's the Middle East, Turkey, wherever, whatever is going on. Devil Lagoyen talked about that there's going to be a civil war in Turkey, almost started this week. There's a lot of stuff going on. All the simonim are here. All the simonim are here. In the Holocaust, there were certain simonim that were still missing. The chutzpah wasn't there. The pnei of a, of, a, of a kelev wasn't there. There were certain things that were missing. Now, according to that Gemara, there's nothing missing from that Gemara. So what we have to work on, 100%, is we have to work on our emuna. Emuna pshuta. No big emuna pshuta. Understanding that there's a God, Hashem Echad Echad. He's the one. He controls the world. And that's all I need to know, one-on-one. And that's it. And I'm holding on to him. No matter how the wind blows, I'm holding on to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If you don't train yourself and train your children that way, then the wind will blow them away. That's the anchor. That's the anchor. And Muna is the anchor. And that's what we need to work on. Oh, Dayum that I went to said the same thing. So we need to work on Amuna. So I want to end with this. It says, this week's parasha, the famous donkey. The donkey that talked, Mr. Ed. The donkey that talked. There's a very big question here. If you look at the story of the donkey, 
Right? So it says in the Mishnah is that Hashem in Pirkei Elbos, Hashem created the mouth of the donkey, the ability of a donkey to talk right before Shabbos. Ben Hashmoshet, Erev Shabbos. He created ten things. One of the ten things was the mouth of the donkey. So if you look at the, at, at the story of the donkey, right? He gets up in the morning and he saddles his donkey and the donkey sees the Malach of Hashem standing in the way and he's holding a sword in his hand very interesting Ramban on this so everyone knows about the talking donkey let me ask you something why doesn't it say anything about a donkey seeing an angel isn't that also like a miracle the donkey saw the angel so it's, 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 it's a big deal that he talked how about he saw the angel and, and we know human beings don't see an angel so why doesn't anyone talk about the greatness miracle that the donkey saw an angel so Rashi asked this question and Rashi says something fascinating something fascinating Rashi says that animals see angels all the time you ready for this Rashi says the following and the donkey saw the angel Rashi the donkey saw the angel and Bilam didn't see the sorcerer didn't see the angel he says no God gives permission to an animal to see more than the human being animals see angels all the time because a person the reason that we don't see angels is we saw them they would scare us so much we would die Right? Because we have das. We can think. But animals can't think. So here's a clean, straight up Rashi that animals see angels. Which explains why the dogs were supposed to bark when we left Mitzrayim. Because they saw the Malach HaMavas. The Malach HaMavas was killing all the Mitzrayim. They could see the angel of death. Dogs get spooked when someone dies, by the way. It's a whole thing. Because they can see the angel of death. We cannot. So there's a Beferish Rashi that says that animals can see more than we can. The Ramban does not agree. The Ramban says they can't see. He could not see the angel. But they can sense that there was something in the way. They could sense that there was something in the way. My question on Rashi is, not my question, that I understand that he could see the angel, but how did he see the sword? The sword is not an animal. It's It's not an angel. So how could he see the sword? So it seems to me that the sword was an angelic sword. It wasn't a piece of gold or a piece of silver. So whatever he saw in the angel, he saw in the sword. But anyway, so he saw this, this angel and he was like, I'm not, I'm not going, getting my head chopped off. So he, he veered, menaderach, right? He was, what are they called today? Um, OTD, off the derach. So he was a D-O-T-D, donkey off the derach, right? D-O-T-D, he was a donkey off the derach. So the first off the derach in the Torah was not a person, it was a donkey. And what did he do? So here's our lesson on how, how you take care of something that goes off the derech, right? By Yach and he whacked him. Did he say, good donkey, it's okay. You want something to eat? Oh, I love you. Whacked him. But it didn't help. Because the Malach got in his way again. And again, and he squashed, trying to get away, he squashed Bilam's foot into the wall. 
Oh, now we get really angry. But Yosef Lakosa, he hit the donkey again. And then the donkey tried to get away. And now he was in a narrow path. And the Malk was standing in front of him. But he couldn't go small. He couldn't go, he couldn't go left. He couldn't go right. So he sort of collapsed. The donkey collapsed. And Bilam fell off. Right? So, he hit him again. So that's it. You hit the donkey three times. Now the donkey is going to say something. And Hashem opens up the mouth of the donkey. Now, what if I was the donkey, what would I say at this point? What would I, what would I say to Bilam? Let's say I'm his donkey, right? What would you say to Bilam? Why are you hitting me? Why are you hitting me? And Bilam would say, what do you mean? You squashed me, you fell. You did. Well, didn't you see the malach? There's an angel standing there with a sword. I saved your life. That's what, that's what I would tell him. I saved your life. Doesn't say a word about the Malach. He says to Bilaam, Why did you hit me these three times? Because look what you did to me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would have killed you. So now at this point, he should have said, you Meshuggah, I saved your life. He doesn't say that. He says, Aren't I your donkey? The Jew wrote on me since day one he was married to the donkey. By the way, it was his wife, right? And he had relationships with the donkey, so this was his donkey, right? And he said to him, I've always been there for you. Have I ever done this before? Have I ever gone off the derach? Have I ever squashed your leg? He said, No. And the donkey died. Hashem made sure the donkey died because had the donkey lived, everybody would have bowed down to a donkey that speaks. We would have made him into an Avoid Zorah and Hashem didn't want him to make him into an Avoid Zorah so he died. So what was the big statement that God had to change an animal to be able to talk? What was the big statement? Right? He didn't say, you idiot, I saved your life. Don't you see the Malach? He said to him, I've always been there for you. So if now I'm going off the derech, Shouldn't you be asking what's going on instead of hitting me? Where's your Hakaras Hataif? Now, who's the Aslan talking to? To Bilam or to us? If he was talking to Bilam, he would have told Bilam, why did you hit me? There's a Malach. I saved your life. But he wasn't talking to Bilam. He was talking to all of us. And he was saying, if I'm always there for you, and now I seem not to be there for you, instead of hitting me and getting angry and going off the derech and not believing in me, maybe you should try to figure out what's going on. The message of the Asun was not to Bilam. The message of the Asun was to all of us. A message of Akaras Hatayv. Kurdish Baruch Hu, you got up in the morning, your five senses work. So if you're having a bad day, Instead of blaming the donkey, Hashem, like, what are you doing? Why did you do this to me? Maybe you need to think about what you do. What, what are you doing? Maybe there's something in the way. Maybe there's something you're not seeing. That was the whole taina of the donkey. Not that there was a malach. This is not what the story was about. Because right after that, the malach appears to, to Bilam. And Bilam still misses the point. Because when the malach appears to him, Right? What does Bilam say? Oy vey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He says, I am so sorry that I didn't see you. You, you, you should have been sorry that you hit the, the mouth was trying to give him a musr, right? 
because I was standing there. You also saw me. He saved you three times, right? Because he says, I should have killed you and let the donkey live. I sinned. So you think at this point, I sinned, but I beat up my donkey for no reason. He was, he was a good donkey. No. What was my sin? That I didn't see you. And he did. He never felt bad what he did to his donkey. Because he had no Hakar Satov whatsoever. That was Bilam, that was Lavan. And that's why when we bring Bikurim, the first fruit, we say in Lavan that, that Lavan tried to destroy us. What does Lavan have to do with Bikurim? Because Bikurim is the hardest thing to have Hakar Satov. Your first baby is like, that's my baby, we made this baby, you know? So it's like the hardest one, that's why you have a pigeon Ben. you have to give it away to the client. Your first fruit is like, I planted it, I weeded it, I sprayed it, I took care of it. So the Torah says, no, 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 no. You give the first one to the Kayan. Because the first one you always feel like it's Kayan or Aitzim Yadi, that it's, that it's your, your hand. So that's why you have to give away the first one. Bilam, his whole power was, his whole thing was that he had this Ayin Hara. Ayin Hara is based on jealousy. Jealousy is based on Kafri Taiv. When I look at what you have and I want to have what you have, that means I don't appreciate what I have. If I don't appreciate what I have, then I'm an ingrate. That was his kaya. That was Lavan. Lavan, at the end, tells, tells Yaakov Avinu, all the children here, they're mine. All the sheep here are mine. Everything is mine. It's all from my house. It's all kaykhav aitim yadi. Lavan and Bilam were one. And that's the lesson of Pasha's Balak. The lesson of Pasha's Balak is God created a donkey to speak to tell all of us not that there was a, a malach but to tell all of us if I've always been there for you and right now you feel that I'm not don't hit the donkey that's not the answer it has something to do with you if I'm always there for you and now I'm not you feel I'm not then something's wrong and you need to find out what's wrong not to blame me and that was the message of this week's parasha the message of Balak. So my, my bracha to everyone here is and, and you should go to you should go to a farm store. There's many, many lessons in Amuna. My bracha to everyone here is that you should have this Amuna, such a strong Amuna that it's not nobody can shake it. That it's that it's not a thought process, but that it's a but that it's a reflex and may Hashem answer my Bakasha and all our Bakashas that it's time for him to show the world who he is that on that day he will be one his name will be one and the world will stop bad mouthing him and not believing in him and we'll have our Hashem back in the world and he'll be a nigla and an anister may we all see that you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com